from WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. Why would a Swedish blues musician living in Washington, D.C., head to a war zone to play clubs in Ukraine, so close to the battle he could hear Russian shelling? For more than two weeks in nine different Ukrainian cities, playing for a population facing basic questions of survival. That's one of the explorations we'll undertake with Robert Lighthouse today, a guitar, harmonica, percussion-playing bluesman. He's been called supremely talented by Blues and Rhythm magazine. Blues Review describes his consummate skill and stunning harmonica chops. Others have compared his Delta blues playing to the great masters. Robert Lighthouse started as a street musician and moved on to open for Robert Cray, Taj Mahal, Johnny Winter, and play Mick Fleetwood's club in Washington, D.C. on the regular, including with Mick himself, until the club closed. He's put out three albums, Drive Through Love, Deep Down in the Mud, and Democracy Boulevard. He regularly tours, and he recently came to Wilmington, where he played the Rusty Nail. Robert Lighthouse, welcome to Coastline. Thank you so much. So good to have you with us. And explain your name. Your dad was Croatian. Oh, yeah. So what is your actual, your given last name? Uh, uh, Palinic. And uh, he said um, it used to be Palikuća, which means uh, burning down the house. Um, but uh, so one night I was laying there thinking, because no one could spell or pronounce my name, or it was hard. Anyways, so I came up with Lighthouse for a name. Instead of burning down the house, it was Lighthouse. It, it yeah. sort of makes sense, yeah. yeah. Makes, and it's, makes sense. it's certainly catchy. <laughs> and I have to say, our technical director, Ken Campbell, said, Robert Lighthouse, that can't be his real name. <laughs> and and speaking of that, so you you have a Croatian dad, but you grew up in Sweden. In Sweden, yeah. And people don't really think of a lot of... American-style blues musicians coming out of Sweden. When exactly. did you first hear the blues? I was about 14 and uh, had a friend um, who played guitar. And, I, you know, I really wanted to play electric guitar. But, uh, and, you know, so he played some Muddy Waters. And, you know, before we just listened to maybe Deep Purple and Nazareth and Uriah Heep and those kind of was in the seventies. Uh, so would but, you call those? I mean, some people would call that metal. Back then, we didn't. It was not called. It was maybe called hard rock. Okay. Like you know, so with metal, the term I think wasn't, or at least I, you know, wasn't uh, used that term yet. But uh, so he played Muddy Waters and then John Winter. And he had electric guitar, and I could try his electric guitar. And uh, then he played Jimi Hendrix. Because somewhere in my mind, I knew that Jimi Hendrix was the ultimate greatest guitar player ever. But I, had, I don't know why I hadn't. Because you could go to the library and just listen to stuff. I mean, we listened to Led Zeppelin and things. Uh, so once I heard Muddy, which was you know just one single guitar, his old plantation recordings. It was easier to hear exactly what he's playing because when it's a full band, you know, the, these band Led Zeppelin, they basically took uh, old blues songs and they rocked them up, you know. That's what they, 
just the, the core is the same, you know, come from blues. It's connected to so many different genres, isn't it? Yeah, but basically, to, you know, they got, uh, I mean, their biggest hits was taken from like a simpler, simpler or blue song, which they rocked it up and they changed it a little bit and, you know, drums and everything. But for my, you know, my mind listening then was easier to pick out exactly what Muddy was doing and it went straight to my heart, you know, like just, I was just blown away when I heard that. It was like hearing where all where it all came from. I did, you know, not on a... On a, 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 a it wasn't intellectual. Intellectual thinking, but it was just, and I went home and both we knew what we were going to do was like, yeah, we're going to be playing this, our playing this blues. And you didn't feel at that point that this wasn't a genre for you? Like you didn't think, well, I'm a white guy from Sweden. Like Not at all. It just pulled it you in. To, it so, and I think that's what happens to anybody that, that gets, you know, if they get that blues thing, because it's universal. Yeah. So in every place, even places where you, you know, the guy could be from a rich family, but they got a deep blues in that family because they might have all the money in the world, but there's no love or there's no this and that or you, you know. So the blues could, you know, it's it's all our our, you know. No everybody one, has the blues. Everybody has the blues somewhere. I would be pretty sure. You know, it's like why people go and meditate and all questions. Why you know, it's getting into the big universal human experience. experience. We're all tortured. Yes. That's the blues. That's the blues, and that's how it comes yeah. out for you. So that's why everybody can can uh, relate to it, or most people. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. What What are your blues? My blues. You know, we come in like my dad came. He was an orphan from you know losing his parents in World War Two. So and at his was around eleven, they all lost their parents, and then the Germans come in and occupied, and it's war. So him just growing up, and I now believe we talk much about this. Uh, like my son's mom, you know, she's uh, on her dad's side, African American, and. I we and I maybe some Jewish people you know they you might almost be born with a trauma that your parents I mean the with generational are, trauma yeah. generational so who knows but I mean it was a rough upbringing because my dad and you know it was but I was a happy child and the way I re- remember my childhood was I still was happy I was made myself good you know anyway so that you know but I. I there was a lot, like now I realize it was pretty horrible, but you know, that, that was whatever you, what you don't have anything to compare with. So, what you, when you're a child, yeah, you know, I was like, a, my mom couldn't, she was very young, and I had to be a, a, a adopted away for a year when I was two or something to another family. And so, all those things that you can't even really. You know. Yeah, it becomes part of you. Yeah, well, speaking of your blues, let's listen. You put out an album, I think it was 1998, called Drive Through Love. And this particular track is called Machine. So we'll listen to part of this.
Machine from Robert Lighthouse's 1998 album "Drive Through Love." What what made you write that song? Um, everybody then, because I was one of you know, everybody called called it love. It was the machine, but everybody called it love machine. But you know, it was just observations being in D.C. Um, thinking about environment back then and people thought like yeah he's talking about the environment you know but now when I, I still sing it because it's almost more you know it's even more the machine is you know like the I what's it called AI artificial, artificial intelligence, intelligence. Yeah, Ooh, it's taking over I mean I thought that was kind of a, but it was, every day when you're on your phone and got to do something it makes me be on there for a little longer. It's a little more things coming up all the time. Yeah. I've noticed. Yes. <laughs> it was yeah. super, funny. And you're super tired. I was like, oh, I got to. Anyway, so that was, yeah. that's what made me, you know, the, it's, for a while back in the 90s, I thought, oh, maybe it's a little corny or something. But now that I, it's actually pretty good. Prescient. Yeah. You came to the U.S. when you were just 18 and yeah. driven by this desire to learn more about Mississippi blues, mm-hmm. blues, Blue. and you went to Arizona. Yeah, at that time when I was uh, eighteen, I went straight out to to uh, Arizona to the, to live with the Hopi Indians. That was my my. I was in music school, and I just decided because it was somewhere there where. You know, 1982 was like the world was going to come to... You know, I'm young and impressionable. I read this book about... The Hopi Indians, yeah. And so we're going to hear more about this when we come back from this break. Um, Interesting place to choose. You're listening to Coastline. Blues musician Robert Lighthouse is my guest today. After this short break, we'll also find out what he saw that you don't see in the news while he was touring Ukraine. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.
You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Robert Lighthouse is a blues musician from Sweden who's put out three albums. He's opened for Robert Cray, Taj Mahal, Johnny Winter. He's played with Mick Fleetwood. And he recently returned from a tour in Ukraine inside the war zone. And we're going to talk about that in this segment. But first, just before we went to break, Robert, we were talking about your first coming to the U.S. because you mm. wanted to learn more about the blues, but you read a book about the Hopi Indians yeah. related to the philosophy. And so you went to Arizona in search of, of a Hopi Indian reservation. What did you find? So, I, yeah, I, uh, my, my girlfriend or friend up in Sweden gave me that book, and it really, I read it and, you know, sort of was a life changer for me then and, and uh, everything I read uh, so I decided I'm going to go out there I want to live it was basically I didn't like the industrial society I mean I, I don't think I ever did when I was a kid too so I thought it was all wrong and when when, when I read about their philosophy and everything and I, I guess I always liked Native Americans philosophy and lifestyle and you know of course being a kid you saw the movies and everything so but uh but what what was it like can you articulate yeah. the philosophy that that drew you in so much was it about the connection to the earth yeah the connection to, you know uh, uh, um you know you grow your food and you you, you don't they're peaceful. They weren't one of the war, you know, they hoping actually hoping means peace. And uh, I mean, they had the whole knowledge about the universe, you know, like how Christian people would say the earth was flat or a lot of people still say it's flat. So they always knew it was because they're out in, in the desert and they could, you know, they, yeah. so they had all this knowledge. And also they were talking about this world is coming to or it's going to come to, we have been transformed in this, our, our, our planet Earth, like uh, we were in the fourth world. Right now we're in the middle of transitioning from the fourth to the fifth world. And what is and, the and fifth world supposed to look like? Well, it's just the next level of, uh, or next, but the, all the world, it correlated, because I, it correlated with, first was uh, destroyed by ice, or even then, before was the first one was destroyed by fire. The scientists said that our Earth was just a glowing ball of fire before, but apparently it might have been a you know if it would hope you know hope uh, believe there was a world before then and they, very specific things the metals if you read about it what what significant of the, each world so it's. It could be like an evolution of man because every time men came, they killed each other and it was greed and the same old, same old, you know, instead of saying, I don't know if you've heard of Louis C.K. The, 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 sure. the, 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 yeah, he was like, God gave you just food on the ground, you know, but people wanted to wrap things in bacon <laughs> or something. <laughs> that wasn't enough. You could just pick it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the whole greed thing, so the God or whatever, the powers destroyed it. Or we, I mean, it's pretty much, you can see we'd, we are destroying it ourselves. So no one, so we're sort of in the midst now of, and when I was saying this, when I was 18, which is four years ago, 
everybody thought I was a little kooky. I was just talking about this book, you know. But now, every, you know, like maybe 10, within 10 years, uh, that was, you know, that was pretty much mainstream all of so a sudden. So you're saying the Hopi's predictions Predict, yeah. about what was going to happen in this it's, world. It's happening right that now. That you say they started to bear themselves out. And so they were connected to this knowledge yeah, this that's knowledge. just deeper. Yeah, deeper, than yeah. And there's many other South American stuff, you know, they somehow get information for, or whatever, how they do, I don't know. And it's interesting, too, because you talk about um, Hopi being a peaceful tribe and some of the observations that you made while you were in Ukraine are, are similar to, I think, what drew you to the Hopi Yeah, it was very, I mean, this thing now, the, uh, you should I tell you why I went? Well, yeah. There or, why? Or, or, uh, why? Yeah. Why on earth would you go to a war zone, an active <clears throat> war zone, and I mean shelling within half mile of where you're playing? You don't know if you're going to come out alive. Well, yeah. It, so I've been. I have a friend there, Max Tavrishesky. That uh, so I've toured Russia nineteen times since. Uh, First time, 2008, then from 2009 to six, 2016, I was there three times a year. And two of those was involved and included Kiev, where Max, my friend there, he's a blues man too, playing harmonica and guitar. Uh, he did concert, organized concerts in, in uh, Kiev too. Later, he did two tours for me around all of Ukraine. That we went to Kharkiv and a lot of these t- Odessa, all of these towns. So when the invasion broke out, I mean, we stayed in contact. But then I was like, right, first thing was, this is my friend, and you know what's going on? What you know? I, so he's like, yeah, it's all nuts, and we're getting invaded, shot at, and it was complete. So every week or a couple of days, we talk, and all I can say is like, oh, I'm so sorry, so terrible, blah 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 blah, and I felt. Lousy because I can't do nothing. I'm sitting here, and a month went, and he was just. I saw his posts; they were terrible. He was in a terrible state. He couldn't play music. The problem, you know, everyone was in a, a shock and trauma, and you know. So we keep talking, and so I was got the idea, and he was saying that was a good idea to actually. How about coming down and doing a tour, just trying to raise some money and just you know doing it. Raise some money for... For, you know, whoever would need it there. I didn't know who would need it. But later, he's very involved in... Uh, he has a volunteer group that all work together. They, they talk to the different brigades out there in the trenches, shelling, fighting, uh, you know, defending um, what they need. So they would say boots or uh, bulletproof vests or infrared binocular, whatever the stuff they want. So they raise money from all like over. night vision? Night vision goggles. Term, we actually, raised, when I was there, we raised money enough for, you know, like $1,000, which is a lot to raise there because it's people that came to the club, and I mean, to my shows, you know. and, and um, So you walked into this war zone mm-hmm. knowing that it was a risk, but you felt like this was something that you had to do. You had to help. Yes, and, and that was like the best thing I've done in in decades, and I, it changed my. It was almost like, 
you know, and to tie it in with the Hopi or other, you know, the way we all, I think, like to live as people is not trying to steal money from each other in the system that we have, you know, or, or always trying to get money. From. There, right now, everyone's just trying to give something because they all have to, we have to help each other survive. So everyone's doing something. So everything to help is, out. is flipped on its head. Yeah. Like the human game isn't there anymore because yeah. everybody knows they could be dead in yeah, the next exactly. minute. Yeah, exactly. So not all and the essential and important things that, why, you know, comes up and it's the feeling. It's like a collective understanding that I felt right as I got off the train in Kiev the first time. It's like this sort of silence heightened uh, awareness because, you know, it got air, it was air raid alarm as soon as I got off the train. So it was my first air raid alarm that was not a test, you know, like they do. Right. So all of those things, it's real. And, and so uh, there are no barriers between people, like yeah, artificial yeah, barriers. Yeah, there, even, you know, when you see sometimes cops out, you think like, oh, he might want to... <laughs> Here, when you see the cops or the guards, you 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 salute them and say, you know, thank you for your. It's a, it's a whole other uh, um, thing. Uh, 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 you said uh, at one point on a train platform, you you looked out and you saw yes. what felt like a scene from World War II. What did you see? Uh, well, uh, I've. Um, I saw a family. I don't know if you, if that's what you're referring to. I, saw, I remember just different little scenes that you just see, and that you can't. I, I took a bunch of pictures, but I saw this family. Dad came home back in the army fatigues, you know, and uh, they're so the flowers, and the wife is hugging him, and the kids. But the release of, of all this anxiety that they felt probably that will our dad come back was all released, and they were all crying. And so I passed. I started almost crying because you could, you know, that energy is all, all there on the platform. So, I mean, you you get, you know, we're all connected in, in that way. And you, you could feel all, all this stuff. Who were the people who came out to the concerts and risked they were, life and limb to, to get there? Yeah, I mean, we were, first concert was in, uh, they call it concerts, the shows. You know, it might have right. been 50, 60, 70, 100 people. Um, little jazz, blues club there. That's and they still were still going. They were, you know, they, you know, they were ready. We were. That was in a town. It's called Shovtivodi. It's. It was a secret town during the Soviet time because they extracted and 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 uh, processed uranium. So the town is, was not on the map. So it's like this old, used to be, happening place with a lot of things going on. All this rows and rows of apartment complexes. This gray Soviet era. You know, sixties. Very drab and gray. So we were there, and you know, it's, that's I've been to Russia, and that's how it looks a lot of times. But inside, when you go to stores or people in, in the club, when you meet people, it's like you know, warm, nice people, and they were so ready to hear somebody. And I was the first person, musician to come and tour Ukraine since the war. Yeah. I was told by Max and by other people, you were the first. I mean, Bono and uh, the guitar player Edge, they did a thing in the in the Metro, which, right. which is great, right. you know, to actually go and do it. Yeah. Not just say, you know, click something on your phone and, you know, you're actually doing do action. Of, 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 of. 
So anyways, so do, do, these people were just folks, and it was now, because Max said, the guy, my friend, Bluesman, that uh, uh, made a tour, he said, now was the time to do it, because people, six months ago, five months ago, people were so, they were no one that could sit, and everyone was so uh, nervous, I mean, uh, traumatized, or, you know, couldn't sit and just listen to music, but now it was sort of a little breathing Right. You know, uh, time to do. Yeah. You, uh, you said earlier that this trip for you was life changing, and I heard from Wayne Kahn, who is a an old friend of yours and who's produced a couple of your albums. Mm-hmm. He said that this was so deep, so profound that you're still kind of processing and still figuring out what came out of this. Mm-hmm. But you did write some music. Yeah. Didn't you while you were there? Mm-hmm. Do you want to play something for us yeah, from your yeah. from your Ukraine trip? Yeah. We're talking with Robert Lighthouse. He is a guitar, harmonica, percussion playing blues musician. And so perc- I used to have when I was on the street. I had a little drum and cymbal on the tube, you know. Huh. I still tap my foot. <laughs> <laughs> for, and for you've opened for. For Taj Mahal and Johnny Winter, one of your one of your big influences, uh, and maybe we'll have time to talk about what that meant to you. But what what is this that you're about to play? So I wrote the song. I got the idea. We you know we were traveling every night, and uh, sometimes we sleep at uh, youth hostels. This was a little small room, two beds very close to each other. He was snoring. It's like, everybody snores, Robert. This is your you friend, too. Max? Yeah, Max. We're like, you know, we, Sorry, Max. We, <laughs> everybody knows now. I couldn't now. sleep, and I got this, the idea, title. If they won't book you in heaven, try your luck in hell. to the front we saw the destruction all around heard the thunder a half a mile away from where the shell I was playing in a theater downtown if they won't book you in heaven try your luck in hell Shows say in army fatigues is a war photographer. Dogs getting fat from eating corpses. He's got lots of stories to tell. Boom, 500 bucks for just one shot. You know, they like those kind of pictures up in heaven from hell. I saw a family reunite on the platform Dad came home unharmed All the kids were crying A young soldier with his foot blown off 
Walking in the park with his girlfriend And the sun was shining A young woman in the Russian quarters Looks like Marilyn Monroe Soldiers loves her, she knows it well The whole time she gives out their positions from her phone Risking her life working down in hell On the train down to the front We saw the destruction all around Heard the thunder from half a mile with a shell I was playing in the basement of a theater downtown If they won't book you in heaven, why not try hell? Robert Lighthouse with his recent tune, If They Don't Book You in Heaven, Why Not Try Hell, from his recent tour of Ukraine in the war zone during the war. And we've been talking about your observations there, Robert Lighthouse, and how so much of what you saw is not content that we see on the news. It was a completely different experience for you. You met other people while you were there. You met a night crawler. Tell us about him. <laughs> what's, what's a night crawler? Well, it's the term from the movie, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, out there chasing, uh, you know, chasing uh, accidents. Having, you know, by, he bought a radar. He was, anyway, the movie. I guess there's people out there doing that, selling the pictures or, or little uh, film clips from gory, bloody things. I won't say he, I mean, but that was maybe part, I mean, he said himself. So I, we met, we were in Kherson uh, in where we heard the shelling from half a mile away because uh, uh, Max wanted us, he's from there, his mom and dad lived, they were trapped up on the ninth floor this whole time when, you know, the, the town was occupied by the Russians for, that's why I was singing about the song, the woman, you know, the, Giving, hang, the giving out positions from her phone, all this stuff. So we're out there, and they got the. And also, we ran into Juliette, uh, a, a young documentary filmmaker that's been working on a documentary. When she we, when she heard we were going down there, she we said come come with us because she was. So we were three of us was there. So you banded together. We're going to hear more about your Ukraine trip when we come back from this break. You're listening to Coastline. Robert Lighthouse is my guest today. We'll also find out after this short break how he thinks about the business of music. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.
listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Robert Lighthouse credits Muddy Waters, Dr. Isaiah Ross, Jimi Hendrix as being some of his major musical influences. He grew up in Sweden, moved to the U.S. when he was just 18. To learn more about Mississippi Delta blues, he started playing on the streets of Washington, D.C. in DuPont Circle, wound up getting a regular gig at City Blues. He's opened for Robert Cray, Taj Mahal, Johnny Winter. He's played with and for Mick Fleetwood. And he's put out three albums, his latest, Democracy Boulevard. And just before we went to break, Robert Lighthouse, we were talking about your recent tour of Ukraine, uh, how it changed you, what you saw, and especially some of the things that the rest of us don't see on the news. You met uh, José, the French nightcrawler who took gory pictures of war scenes, and you met Juliette, Mm -hmm. a documentary filmmaker, and the three of you sort of banded together. Well, it was Max and me. She, uh, the night before, uh, or a couple of nights before in Kharkiv, she was there, and we started talking. She told us she, she was making a documentary that she'd been working on for since the in- invasion started. So, And she ended up taking the tr- same train as us back to Kiev from, from Kharkiv. And uh, we started talking, and then when she heard we were going to go next day to uh, uh, Kherson, which is Max's hometown, and his parents and aunt lives there. She's like, you should come with us. And she goes, yeah. And she also says, like, the whole time she's there, this kind of things happen where you run into people that all of a sudden gives you an opportunity to go here and there and, you know, gives you to the next place. And I mean, it's sort of a... And she was... So we were down... She came down with us. We almost missed the train because uh, uh, Max was a little too relaxed at the club, the last gig in Kiev. It was it was like in a movie. We jumped on. I mean, the train was moving and Max wasn't, you know, because he had had a couple of whiskeys and it was, we were all late and he was like, Max, Max, are we going? She, and we this, is a, this is a night train. In, we're a night about. train going down to, to Mykolaiv and Kherson. So the train, the, 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 the host, the, every car has a hostess, and it's like, are you coming or not? And, you know, the train started moving. It's like, Max, Max. And it's like, should we go? And I said, yes, we should go. And we just jump on because, like, we, we, we'll go down. And later on, he's already on the train. It was like sort of a magic moment. <laughs> we were like crazy. <laughs> so we're, anyway, so we're down there after, I did, in, in Kherson. I played a little, uh, 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 in a basement, they have a little cafe and a stage of this beautiful uh, uh, theater. And after, they had this idea, why don't I go down to this pedestrian street uh, and uh, play a little music, and she's, she'll film it and, and stuff. While, and meanwhile, the whole time, boom, boom, down, you know, like Russian half shelling. a mile away. Russian and Ukrainian shelling. And okay. you could actually tell which one is which. But really? Yeah. My, Max knows all that stuff because they use this and they either use that. I mean, his aunts also live on the ninth floor. We spend the night. That's where we spend the night. And we met Olga, his aunt, 87 years old, strong. I mean, no elevator on ninth floor. They got to drag up water drinking because you can't drink tap water because they bomb, you know, all the, the water lines are was. Uh, uh, corrupted with. So this eighty-seven-year-old wa- woman drags water up to yeah, the ninth floor apartment yeah, all the time. 
<laughs> well, that's probably why she's 87. Yeah, and she, still... I mean, she lived through World War II and all of them, was, you know, because she's 87. So she'd been around. But, I mean, she's just these incredible people that that you, that you see. So anyway, so we're down there, and all of us on this pedestrian street, there's shelling going on down there, and I'm playing music. There's no people. It's totally surreal. Uh, it's surreal... Uh, uh, afternoon I'll, I turn around and there's this dude with a bald kind of with a big beard and uh, army fatigues speaking French very uh, to Juliette and he's a, he's a war photographer and he tells he, he goes to Israel he goes to there and there to, you know to take pictures and he tells how a lot of times they have to be on drugs in order to uh, take these pictures. He said one time he had a camera team. They're so close because they chase, you know, they want to get the actual action right. to sell the pictures because that's what they do and they're, they're adrenaline junkies. He said we're all an acid because if we weren't, you would you would go, you would relieve yourself. Your body would, that's how, and my, my other, our other friend in Kharkiv, he said first time a rocket came like next door, he shit himself? He shit himself. Sorry for it, but that's what was the joke, too. Like, Robert, you brought some extra pants, didn't you, when we went to Kharkiv? So we had to make, every t- all the time you had to make these jokes. But, I mean, that's, so, so they're, a lot of, you know. So they must come away. I mean, we've talked about this generally in journalistic circles, training about how when you cover difficult content, Reporters walk away with PTSD, and and managers because they're to, there too. Exactly, yeah. like they're not just like covering it doesn't mean that you can separate yourself from the humanity so, of it. So that's what we were, Juliette. That also is, and she was not after any gory pictures. She want, she was after, you know, human stories like how our family, how is this affecting and, and getting more that at least that's what she was. You know, of course she wants. You know, she get pictures of the destruction and everything but but more of, of the human not chasing the pictures because that you got a question why would you selling these pictures and images to people sitting in the couches all over the world eating popcorn and, and getting fed all this you know why are we sometimes I mean you know what I mean I mean do of you, course it's good to get the report do you have the sense though that that people in Ukraine feel the support of oh totally of oh, Europe yes, and yeah. the U.S. No, no. So that, I mean, I, I totally agree. To you know, just like the image of the Vietnam War when the naked girl yeah. on fire of the napalm changed the whole view. I mean, that was a very important picture. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the the the, the flow of 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 images that it's just for almost entertainment, like an entertainment, like sensational yeah. entertainment value. Yeah. So, And you were saying uh, to me during the break that Juliette observed it's interesting how, even though it's dangerous, you run towards that. Like there's something that draws it's her something that draws, and draws Jose. I mean, I noticed, yeah, him, he was totally, he, and he knew it. Right. I mean, he had the self-awareness enough. He goes like, I spent a night at the, on the bridge because it was they shell right on the Dnieper River. That's where they, it's beautiful. It's like boom, 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 boom. It's like a firework. You know, it's like, and he films it and I guess he sells. The, I mean, he's like living in this, she was like, thought, you know, and it's a little nuts, but he, he yeah. was aware that he was. Right. But, uh, 
You were going to play a tune for us, Mm -hmm. a blues song. Is this something that you played while you were in Ukraine? Yeah, it was... uh... And I'm looking at your guitar now, which is... It's Looks res- like it's... It's a metal. It's a, they call it resonator guitars. Mm-hmm. So it's all shiny. Yeah. Like a national guitar. Remember that song by Paul Simon? <laughs> <laughs> the Mississippi shining like a national guitar. And you're putting on <laughs> your harmonica now. Mm-hmm. And this is something we've heard... People say they don't know if you're a really excellent harmonica player who also plays the guitar or if you're a really excellent guitar player who also plays the harmonica. This is Robert Lighthouse. And what's the name of the tune? I put the... um... It's just simply, I put... You know, I traveled through Poland... To, in order to get there, and I got some gigs, so people helped me out there too. Because uh, so I came up with a, you know, just to sing about something that I was about to do, which is like blues. So it's just called uh, the Ukrainian tour blues for working title anyway. out of tune while I'm doing it.
Robert Lighthouse, Ukrainian tour blues, working title, something like that, uh, playing the guitar and harmonica. Thank you so much for that. Just returned from a musical tour of Ukraine. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when we first spoke, you told me that one of your big influences was Dr. Isaiah Ross. Can you talk about and, and and I've read in some other places that that people have said you are him reincarnated. <laughs> so explain to us who he was and and why he's so important to your identity. Yeah, that I mean that whole style it's like I listen to him and I think that's um I had a friend in DC that one night we were sitting listening to records, like actual records. That was like back in the last century we were doing that. And uh, he put this record on, and uh, it blew my mind the way I had, I had heard a bunch of blues, like most, you know, Robert Johnson, uh, Howlin' Wolf, all the most, the greats, you know. Of, but I had never heard that sound that he put on, and it was something, the rural sound that he had, and it was, I think the record, it was recorded, uh, it could have been recorded at, uh, at Sun Studio, Sam Phillips, or some, you know, uh, King Biscuit maybe, or anywho's. Uh, there was something with that rhythm, it was also feeling very African somehow, like you know the, the blues, you know how it came. So it was the, the polyrhythm thing that was. It wasn't cleaned up like some of the others. Was more Chicago blues, you know. They were. So, anyways, that was it. Blew my mind. So I was totally. I just listened to him forever, for you know, because that's how I've been. Like I went through my Jimi Hendrix time when I was like blown, you know. And, so, yeah. So uh, I'm getting the signal from our producer, Ken Campbell, that our time's almost up. So I have to ask. I think he's wrong on the time. But I have to ask, if you could talk to your younger self mm-hmm. and give your younger self some career advice, uh-huh. that's so hard for a musician sometimes. Like you're either the musician or the business person, not usually both. Well, I have but a what, son. He's 19. So okay, I almost so have that. Perfect. <laughs> So what are you going to tell your son? Well, my son is, te- you know, first of all, he said, like, well, Dad, I'm not going to be a poor blues musician like you. <laughs> that He said that very early on. But he goes to school now. He wants to be a, you know, his, he wants to be a music teacher. He doesn't want to right now. he got a girlfriend. he got a plan. Like, they're going to start a family or something. But, so he doesn't, right now at least, have, I had a hunger to play in front of people. That was my drive and goal and uh, uh, my advice to I wouldn't you know 
just do like they say follow your heart what is you know play do the you. music you like and it, it will be appreciated because I think the big money has destroyed music it has destroyed you know the radio and uh, sorry but there's used to be it's good, okay no yeah, I, yeah, you know what I'm saying? yeah Sorry. We are out of time. That's this edition of Coastline. Robert Lighthouse, thank you so much <laughs> for being so much with for us having. today. It's very great. Thank Heartfelt you. thanks to Susan Stavia and WHQR's own Lan Nichols of Front Street Blues. Coastline's technical director is Ken Campbell, and it's a production of WHQR Public Media. You can find the episode at whqr.org or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn for Coastline. Mm-hmm.